Welcome to episode 3, season 10 of The Versatile Writer, providing support and encouragement to writers and creatives. I hope you're getting used to the new tagline. After 10 seasons, it made sense and better fits the podcast's aims. I record my podcasts next to a sometimes open window in my office, which is also next to a bird feeder and a road. At times, you'll hear birds flapping and chirping and vehicles swoosh by. The information shared within this podcast is, I believe, more important than the polishedness of the tech. This is not one of those ultra-polished podcasts. It's kind of raw, which I like. I hope you do too. As mentioned in episode one, this season is taken a writing-related prompt from each letter of the alphabet. It's worth noting that some of these topics will overlap and some will have different names but mean the same thing. So we may have a few that sound similar throughout the season. I've had contributions from other writers for this season, so big thanks go out to Zelma Klein and the Arcane Quill Facebook group. If you'd like to join the group, the details will be in the show notes. Before I get into it, please know that you can subscribe to this podcast for free and have it arrive automatically when it's published. Please tell your friends and family, you never know, it might speak to them. You can also further the discussions of topics I raise on here on the dedicated Facebook group, The link is in the show notes, or you can type the Versatile Writer Podcast Group into Facebook's search bar. So, here we go. Episode 3. The letter D. D stands for Dialogue, Descriptions, Diary Writing, Dream Diaries, Devices, Delivery, Difficult Characters, Dealing with Difficult Characters, and Digital Publishing. Dialogue. A great one to kick off this episode. Dialogue is a very fine aspect of creative writing, and I'm talking novels here, because dialogue allows the reader to learn so much about the character through how they speak and what they say. How they speak and how they deliver those lines give us huge clues about them without the writer actually telling you. It's all about showing you. Let's say the character is using regional words. Those regional words will give the reader a big heads up as to where they're from and what influences they've had. Judgments will also be made, albeit hopefully healthy ones, but that does depend on what the author wants us to know. In script writing, it's all about the dialogue. In fact, there's nothing else aside from dialogue and direction from the actor to use. Without the writer being intensely descriptive through the use of weighty words, Will the actor know how the character was intended to be portrayed? Those aside, one thing about dialogue is that, in a novel, it's the one thing we often turn to when we've no time to read the rest of the narrative. How many times have you decided, well, if I have an hour to finish this, I'd better cut to the chase and focus on just the conversations? I know I have. It might not even be due to saving time. Perhaps the narrative is not gelling with you, so... To get to the end of the story, you're only focusing on the dialogue. I'd love to hear your dialogue-related anecdotes, actually. You can do that on the Facebook page. Descriptions is our next D. Descriptions, particularly within fiction, are quite a major part of storytelling. Describing a setting, a character, a sense, a feeling, even a plot, means we tend to need a reasonably large vocabulary describing that the sky is blue for the upteenth time can labour the plot and bore the reader, not to mention ourselves when writing it. So learning synonyms and antonyms 
can be a useful tool in that metaphorical writer's toolkit. Consider how to get across what lavender smells like as your character wanders through a field of it. Perhaps it's not so much the smell of it is where you're going and instead focusing upon the, the effects the pollen has on them. For instance, describing lavender as having a warm scent with deep tones that reminded Maria of her grandmother's spare bedroom. That suggests the scent might be evocative enough to conjure sad memories of her parents fighting, which was why she stayed overnight, or happier, precious moments of spending time with her late grandmother. Perhaps writing that Maria's nose tickled as the pollen clung to every fibre of her dress as she sashayed through the long stalks of purple may give you an alternative way of describing it. Sometimes descriptions within narrative can get a little flowery. It builds the imagery, but sometimes less is more. Thomas Hardy comes to mind with both Far From The Madding Crowd and Tess of the D'Urbervilles. I have to be honest here, while I read Madding Crowd twice, I only glossed over Tess because it didn't engage me as much and I only read Madding because I'd seen the TV adaptation with Nathaniel Parker. If you've not seen it, it's worth seeking out. And I only mentioned Thomas Hardy and his writing because getting a little flowery was the main point. It is a little too flowery sometimes and other times it hit the note perfectly. Side note, when I walked my daughter to school many years ago, I chatted with another mum. We talked about Far From The Madding Crowd and her face fell. She said she hated it because all she remembered of it was being forced to read it for her A-levels. Forced. Why do schools and school teachers do this, or at least why did they? She remembered some of the characters, but the overflowery descriptions of clouds in the sky ripped her brain to shreds and she never touched another Hardy book again. When I mentioned I'd seen the TV adaptation, she said she'd avoid that at all costs. But I digress. Flowery descriptions have their place. When I was doing my degree, close study of literature was a major aspect of the last couple of years' modules. It was highlighted then that descriptions make a difference to stories. Some stories feel flat without them and others need them as, as though they are the glue holding the whole thing together. Descriptions can be really useful and other times can be tricky to manoeuvre your brain all over it. Sometimes your mind skips through it, and other times it's like wading through treacle to get to the point. There are a lot of variables, of course. An over-exuberant author and a reader with a short attention span can result in a miserable reading experience, whereas a thirsty reader and a to-the-point author can leave you wanting more. Ultimately, whether you use elaborate descriptions is down to the author. Does the story require them? Does the genre? Do your audience? Onwards, D for diary. Are you the kind of writer who uses a daily diary? Have you written in one since you were a child, a teen, or became an adult? Have you ever used one? I've mentioned this before on The Versatile Writer, so you may have already heard me mention it, but I used a diary when I was a child, then again as a teen. But over my adult life, diaries have come and gone. In my 30s, I used them routinely, but somewhere in my 40s, I stopped. I picked it up again in my late 40s and a couple of times in my 50s. Despite them being places to record our innermost feelings, over time, they become social records and historical records. Mostly, nowadays, 
I tend to forget to write in one, but I also tend to think that some of us use social media like a diary, using them to jot our thoughts, our activities, reviews of movies or books, of days out, of experiences, of our families, adding pictures and videos. For some, social media has become a communal, modern-day diary of sorts. Some even use it as a community board or a bulletin board. For a recent project, I discovered that an ancestor of mine had written a memoir of sorts. It's somewhere between an informal memoir and a diary. Within the pages, this lady shared her thoughts and opinions of pre-World War I. Now, it isn't a large book, and I haven't read it all yet, but what I have learned about her so far is that she was probably born before her time. She was forced to leave school at a young age to get a job, much like most pre-First and Second World War children were, but she had a brilliant brain and was neither allowed nor encouraged to use it. She signed this copy to my grandmother in 1977, so I have both date and a sample of her handwriting. I also have the postmark on the envelope, and it's all quite intact. For the closet graphologist in me, this is a truly exciting and utterly precious item. There are all kinds of diaries. Dream diaries, as you might imagine if you know me well, are a very handy help. For most of my life, I've woken up remembering in infinite detail what my dream was, and if I'd had several, what the others were too. Sometimes each dream would have influenced the next, so this conglomeration of illogical stories would find their way into my waking life, and into the diary they went. I've used the basis of a dream for one of my novels, and I published it back in 2006. It was called Dyson with Danger, and yes, much of it was altered, but the characters were the same and the situation was very similar. I had to change a lot because, as I said, dreams are illogical and stories published in books have to form some kind of logic or the reader won't be able to make head nor tail of it, and nor would I when writing it either. More recently, I used both a dream and a diary in my novel Dream State. Within the story, it's suggested by a doctor that my character records her thoughts, worries and questions in a diary. It was intended to serve two purposes, to help her process the situation she'd found herself in and to be a recovery resource for her sister if and when she emerged from her coma. Filling in the pieces of when she was in the coma would considerably help her understand what had happened. It worked well in the story and I got the idea from a real life situation that happened to my family. Daily diaries, dream diaries and recovery diaries are just a few of what we could use to record our feelings. Do you write in one? They're often quite private, a conversation of sorts between the writer and the pages, but there are some diaries that have become globally recognised due to their contents, even when the author had not intended others to read it. This leaves me feeling a mixture of discomfort as to read someone else's words that were not intended for others to read, and morbid curiosity. The two diaries I'm thinking of particularly have become social and historical records, Samuel Pepys's diary and the diary of Anne Frank. I'd love to hear your thoughts on diaries though. You can get in touch via the Facebook page. The next D, devices, as in plot devices, Talking of devices, I just mentioned a plot device, the one I used in Dreamstate. No spoilers if you've not read it, but want to. 
but a major plot device is a car accident. This sets the whole story off on a course that separates the book into two. A book within a book, if you will. In previous books, Living and Loving in Texas, for instance, a major plot de device there was the announcement of a pregnancy. Plot devices are points within the story that send it into a different direction. They're also called literary devices and are a major writing tool. D is for delivery. In this case, delivery refers to how you handle giving someone feedback on their work. Take it from someone who can speak the simplest of sentences and have the recipient hear it laced with unintentional condescension or abruptness. I have to be very, very aware of how my delivery comes across. That's only in speech. I try to be quite different when it comes to writing and I generally get other people to read it before I send it. Be aware of the words you use and the tone in which they're delivered. Now I'll keep this very short and sweet. Be kind and constructive, whatever the receiver's level of writing confidence. D is for difficult characters. Now everyone is different in life and that's the same with characters. Difficult can mean anything from poor behaviour, bullying, being rude, being obnoxious, lying, being stupid, laziness, being absent-minded and the list goes on. One of my characters in a recent novel was a sociopath, okay you might say, but I had to give it some really major research to correctly convey how the, their behaviour affected other characters' behaviours and decisions. It was quite the research trip. If allowed to be, a sociopath can be incredibly powerful and, at least in fiction, that can lead you to, to a host of ideas. In real life, I've worked with some very difficult people, but the big plus that I can take from them all is that I can use the way they behaved in my writing of difficult characters. I think imagining how a character behaves is different from experiencing it firsthand. For a start, you have way more control over it. I recall how a manager deliberately humiliated a co-worker of mine years and years ago now. I was still in my 20s. That was bad enough, but they did it in front of the entire department. Around 40 people heard and saw the exchange. I'd never seen an adult bully another, another adult before. It was shocking. What was more shocking was that the recipient, a man ordinarily a pleasant person to work with and having strength of character, shriveling like a dying leaf in front of us all. Sadly, this was not the only incident with this difficult manager. Later in my working life, I experienced several rounds of difficult people at work. Some said they'd do things but didn't. Some would say they had your back but didn't. Some claimed ideas I had as their own. Some shared harmful rumours. Some gossiped regularly, creating a tough working life for others. Difficult people are everywhere, so if you want to write how the behaviour of one person can affect others, the evidence is all around us. In the larger world around us, you can see all kinds of difficult characters from which to draw ideas. The media shines a light on many of them daily, especially in the world of politics, law enforcement and media itself. But difficult characters are also those who don't seem to easily get written. Sometimes these are the ones that you feel or sense rather than see on the page. Those truly are difficult, but it's less about their character and more about the words you choose to describe their behaviour. So that's difficult characters, but how do you deal with them in your fiction? D is for dealing with difficult characters. 
When creating a loose story, chances are there'll be one or two difficult characters that have to be dealt with in a specific way, certainly to get the best from them and to make your plot work. Like real life, not everyone should be dealt with the same way because we're all different. We all have different triggers and let's face it, we want to be treated as the individuals we are. And it's the same with characters. Writing a scene with two pleasant people might be lovely, but add a third who is less than helpful, perhaps a bully or someone who manipulates, then you've got yourself quite the scene and potentially a plot device. Also, and it's worth a mention, dynamics play a part too. In that scenario, two people having a conversation, but add a third, and instantly the dynamic is no longer balanced. You may have heard the expression that threes don't work. Imagine the scenario of two children in the playground. The two five-year-olds get along, but add a third and there's an imbalance. And also at that age, there's going to be strength in twos versus one. Which way is it going to go? Play around with dynamics to see how your characters behave with different people. Sometimes just the presence of a person can initiate all kinds of negative feelings. And that's before anyone has even spoken. Body language, facial expressions and voice tone can all play a role when you deal with a character. So it's emphasised with a difficult character. D is for digital publishing. I almost didn't add this one. I tend to shy from technology because I don't naturally gel with it. But I decided it was best to include it because not everyone thinks how I do. The advent of digital publishing took the world by storm. And while some say ebooks began in the 1960s, for most of us it became an everyday word around the 2010 mark. What can I say about digital publishing that hasn't already been said before? Probably nothing. But I will say that I was one of those who really didn't want anything to do with taking audiences away from paper books. But then I learned ebooks and tree books do not have to exist at the expense of each other, they can work together and they have different audiences. Thus, if you want to exploit this method, you can reach a wider readership for your work. Because of its inexpensive costs, it makes the most sense when getting your book out there. But please, on behalf of all the lovers of print books, consider paper publishing too. Some of us find it difficult to read a screen. Holding a book is a much more tactile experience that facilitates the reading experience. If it helps sway your decision, some of us are more likely to purchase the paperback than the ebook. Food for thought. Okay, that's all for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and either learned something new or reminded about something you'd forgotten. Today I've touched upon dialogue, descriptions, diary writing, dream diaries, devices, delivery, difficult characters, dealing with difficult characters, and digital publishing. Don't forget to subscribe to The Versatile Writer and to share it with your friends and family. You never know who it might speak to at just the right time. The link to my website and the dedicated Facebook page for this podcast are in the show notes. But my website is www.loveofbooks.co.uk Until next time, thank you for listening to episode 3D of The Versatile Writer.